You're listening to Ari Snapshots with Jessica Strauss. Each month we chat about the science behind the weeds and decode some of the trickier concepts which crop up. As many listeners would know, blue lupins are notorious for being difficult to control and they also produce prolific seed banks. Blue lupins are very closely related to the domesticated narrowleaf lupin, also known as the white lupin. So whichever herbicide is survived by white lupins is also survived by blue lupins. This is very problematic as they look very alike. This is where a team of researchers from ARI and the University of Western Australia, led by Monica Danilovich, comes in. They have recently taken the approach of using weed labelling and deep learning algorithms to see if they can distinguish between the two lupin species in images captured by unmanned aerial vehicles, known as UAVs, like drones or ground-based cameras. The aim is to detect and spray just the lupins in the crop. So UWA PhD candidate Monica Danilovich joins me now to explain the results of this study. How are you going? Oh, really good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Now, firstly, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your research area as we haven't heard from you before? Oh, sure. So I'm from Brazil where I did my bachelor's and I did my master's studies. So I'm from Brazil. Uh, That's where I did my undergrad, and that's also where I did my master's at the Federal University of Rio de Janeiro. Both of these degrees were focused on plant biotechnology and bioinformatics. So the most interesting part for me was always looking up how we can use data analysis and bioinformatics to try to tackle some of issues, some of these issues in crop production. And that's also what drawn me to do a PhD here at UWA. So I started my PhD in 2019 um, at the Dave Edwards uh, Group, which is the Center of Applied Bioinformatics. And I've been looking at integrating image analysis and machine learning into this um, analysis models. So we can try to tackle some of these issues that have been um, really difficult to find, like for example, this differentiating Uh, morphologically similar crops, but also crop yield prediction or other agronomic traits. Excellent, Monica. Now, we're going to be focusing on some of your research today from a paper which is entitled Segmentation of Sam Plain Lupin Weeds from Morphologically Similar Narrow-Leafed Lupins in the Field. And as we mentioned earlier in the intro, they look alike. So firstly, why is it so important to be able to distinguish white lupins from blue lupins why is that an important thing to do so it is as you mentioned they look very much alike and that is a problem for the weed management and how you're going to control this weed species growing within the crop so the blue lupins um, they have they're really resistant uh, species so both the narrow leaf and the blue lupins they grow in sandy soils acidic soils mildly acidic soils, and they require very little input uh, for growth. So they're a great species for you to grow in this lands that would be maybe considered marginal lands for agriculture, for other like more resource-intensive crops. So they're a great alternative. And uh, the white lupins, um, the grains that they produce have actually a really good nutritional value. So it is a crop that we do want to protect its yield, and it has a great application Uh, for food security. Uh, But the problem is the blue lupins are extremely similar. They are biologically similar. They are morphologically similar, obviously. So when you're trying to design an algorithm to detect those, 
you cannot use traditional computer vision methods because you cannot just define, oh, they have this specific leaf shape because they both have the same leaf shape. It's just slightly narrow or it's slightly a different color, but you cannot really say this to an algorithm because it's not enough difference. And that's where computer vision benefits from machine learning because when you have a machine learning model, uh, they are able to see more similar to what we see. They put several features together to the identification. And you can use these models into um, any type of targeted or precision agriculture or targeted herbicide application in which they will spray only the weeds, protecting the crop. And uh, you can have a much bigger yield and a much bigger quality in your yield. Yeah, that makes sense. And just for anyone thinking, because I, I just thought of it then, uh, what makes blue lupins not viable for you know production? Like, are they poisonous? What's the deal with blue lupins? Yeah, so blue lupins actually they have been bred as a as a crop, but not a not a crop for human feed, so animal feed. So they have been used for soil improvement because they are legume uh, legumes, so they do have this uh, nitrogen fixation bacteria and other uh, microbiota that is associated to the roots. So they are, they have their use and they do have their role. But the thing is their seeds that they produce, it's not palatable and also it's not, it doesn't have as much nutritional value. And also I don't think they are digestible uh, quite as well for humans. So it's really not used as a food source for humans. And that's one of the things. So they have been bred for a long time to be really resistant and to go into the field and actually occupy the same areas. And now we want to grow narrow leaf lupin. And that's why it's so hard to get rid of them because they are bred specifically to resist <laughs> us. <laughs> They're powerhouses. Okay, that makes sense. I think a few people might have been wondering what the deal was there with that as well. Okay, so why are selective herbicide options limited for white lupins? You've kind of answered it, but if you can go into a bit more detail. Yeah, sure. Uh, so the herbicide options are limited because they're biologically similar. So what you have is the same pathways that would um, attack a blue lupin and make it... Uh, make you be able to destroy the plant, would do the exact same thing to the narrow leaf lupin. So that's why you need, it, it happens to several of those morphologically similar crops. So there are several crops and weed species that they are similar, and then you have this really big difficulty in controlling them. And blue lupin's one of them. And uh, so you have different options also. When you use this targeted approach, you don't have to limit yourself to just do targeted spraying, but there are other technologies coming up. You can use laser, you can fry up the, the weeds, which is a really cool thing. Uh, there is also other machines that they're developing that you can, uh, that you have like this scissors. So they just goes and you cut off the weeds, which also uses kind of the same identification. So once you identify the weed and you find the whole area, you can use whatever method of treatment you want to use. So you can be completely chemical free in this treatment. Yeah, very cool. And as mentioned in the intro, you've looked at using both the UAVs and ground-based cameras to detect the differences between white and blue lupins. How effective were these two approaches in identifying between the two plant species? Yeah, so one of the things that it's interesting about using images to identify this different species is that you have this uh, logistic problem 
in which if you have, because they're very morphologically similar, you want a very good resolution, so you want to take your images quite close, and that's why, for example, a grand vehicle, it's the best option. But the thing is, it might take a long time for you to cover the whole field, and if you want to do things faster, you can use a drone at a much higher uh, height, and then the image resolution is going to drop, but you can cover the field much faster. And then you can have your width map by the end of the day much faster and with the same light conditions. So we had this five different data sets and some of the data has been collected quite close. So we have one data set which was downloaded from WeedAI, uh, which is a really good repository. And uh, this data set was collected with smartphones and just on someone walking by with plants super young. Uh, so you also don't have that much plant density, but you did have tillage, so it was still a very complex environment. And the other data sets, so we had one data set that was collected, I mean, the rest of the data sets were collected with the drone, but half of them were collected at a lower height and half of them were collected at 20 meters. And we were trying to see how you can check the model performance in each one of these data conditions so we can optimize a way in which whoever is going to use the model can cover the field as fast as possible. So it's not as time consuming to collect the data. So they also have more time to focus on other stuff. And what we did find was that actually because the plants are so similar, it is um, good to have a really high resolution. And then if you want to resort to that, you can use, uh, for example, in the tractors or whatever, you are going through the field to collect the data. Also, the youngest you find the plant, the better. And it's also better for treatment anyways. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so we did have like all these different types of data because we wanted to make sure that we were at least finding indications of what would be the best way for the person to collect the data and use the model and still have the best performance possible. Yep, that's logical, Monica. And how did you go about actually identifying the blue lupins for the algorithm and, and how accurate did it end up being in the field? Uh, yeah, so I have been using deep learning for a long time now in my PhD and I completely love it. And that's one of the things that it went super well because we developed a deep learning model which was based in a UNET model, which uh, it's a very famous model that was developed years ago for medical image segmentation. So for you to define, uh, find different areas in medical imaging and exams, but it works super well for a lot of uh, applications. And this is one of them. So what we did was after collecting the data, we processed the data sets because it has to have a whole bunch of steps for processing, but then you train the model and the model was able to predict the performance and draw the segmentation masks. Um, the model had a average performance of 80%. So it could find 80% of the blue, the blue lupins uh, in the field across the data set. So some data sets perform way better and some perform slightly worse. Uh, but this was the average performance, uh, which is, was also pretty good anyways, because we did find other um, papers in which it's mentioned that 70% performance is already something that you can start using. Um, and if you use a uh, high resolution, you have an even better performance. So 
Yeah, so that sounds pretty accurate, and uh, yeah, it sounds like it sounds like it's almost ready to be maybe you know used in optical mm. spraying applications where green on green technology is potentially being used. Is is that uh, the plan going forward? Uh, yeah, yeah. So we have released the model. Uh, it's on our GitHub repository. So with all the code. And we did have the trained model, and that's what we want. So we think this model is it's a good starting point. And, of course, we had um, limited locations, and it worked really well for those locations. We do think that for everyone that is going to apply, it does need a bigger data set for dealing with different, for example, soil colors or image complexity, uh, depending on what kind of field management treatments this uh, grower has been implementing in their field, so if they have tillage or not, or how they are uh, dealing with their field. But we do think it's it's a great starting point, and with a little bit more of uh, fine-tuning with the specific location that you want to apply, this model could be um, could be start to being used. Yeah. Excellent. And so what's the hope then? How does this model improve? Do people need to access the code, or do, does more research need to happen in this space? Uh, so... I think the model can improve depending on um, the data analysis literacy of who is going to use uh, the model because this model is currently in this. Even if you're going to implement it still in a code format, it doesn't have a graphical interface. So it might be a bit challenging uh, for you to use straight away. Uh, but we have been talking to other researchers and other people who are using this and trying to turn applications for blue looping detection so we do want it to be a contribution for this to become actually a tool that can be to have a graphical interface and can be used for anyone yeah excellent all right we'll, we'll provide the show notes re insight has been written on your research and we'll link to your paper on this as well but is there anything else that we missed that you want to share with listeners about this piece of research well, we do have, as I said, we do have the code. We do have also the data sets that have been created for this. Uh, they are available now at Figshare, but uh, they're going to be also uploaded to EDI. So I think this is also something that can be quite useful, for, especially for the development of solutions that work for Australian farmers, because a lot of the solutions and a lot of research happens overseas, and lots of research on this happens also in the U.S., which is really good. But for using deep learning models, you do have to have the model trained on where it's going to be applied. It doesn't work out of the box. So I think this is one step forward to have these models working for Australian farmers and for the type of soil we have here and for the type of conditions we have here. So I think this is the most important part. And I think besides the GitHub and Figshare, it's, yeah, just get in touch. Also, if you have any idea or anything that you think could either improve the model or you have more data or you want to try to apply, we're also happy to see this having more applications. So happy to please get in touch. <laughs> Definitely, Monica. We'll provide your Twitter handle as well so people can follow you there and see what you're doing with your work. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me.